You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about detoxing, and we're going to continue that today. And we talked about detoxing from doubt a few weeks ago, and then this past week we talked about detoxing from religion. And uh, today we're going to talk about detoxing from comparison. Any of you ever compare yourselves to someone else? It's what we do, isn't it? And so this morning I want us to, to think about that. Because really comparison is a, is a lose-lose situation. Um, it's, it's, so this morning I want us to think about how we can get rid of that and, and uh, change our heart set and our mindset um, when it comes to detoxing. Matter of fact, I even see it in the wonderful movie Snow White. Y'all remember that wonderful Disney movie when Disney was Disney? And uh, the Wicked Witch asked the Mara, who's the fairest of them all? And I think every little girl that's a princess asks that question. They look in the mirror and they ask that. And I don't think they re- actually understand and realize that um, that we live in a culture that you, when you go to the grocery store and you look at all the different magazines, that that's the question that we're asking as we look at those. Are those people fairer than I am? Are those people more beautiful than I am? Are those people, whatever it is that we do to compare. And so it's something that we just see all the time. It's a natural part of our culture. And it, it really kind of, it, in many ways, it ruins our mind and heart set to where how God views us and how God sees us and the identity that he has and that we have in him. And so it's, it's natural to measure ourselves against other people. But I want to ask you this question. Is the mirror that we use that's provided for us, is it broken and distorted? So that whenever we ask that question, who's the fairest of the all, the mirror that we're looking at has a distorted and broken image. And so what we're getting back is not true. And I do believe that that is true, that most of the time the, the way that we compare ourselves and the mirror that we use to ask that question, we're not asking God, how do you view us? We're asking the world and by the world standards, how do you view us? And so we get back this broken and distorted view of ourselves. And so we're working out of lies trying to become something that is not for us and that God doesn't even has for us. And psychologists tell us that most of us determine our self-worth by looking at our social circle, that we find our value and our worth as we kind of get into, do you see this especially junior high, high school, that as kids begin to look around and they begin to look and act and think and talk like their peer group or the group, even the subculture group that they're in, right? And why is that? It's because we begin to define ourselves by those that we hang out with. And so if we're not really fitting into one group, what do you see teenagers doing? They change their dress, they change different things, and they change into a different friend group so they can fit into that. And psychologists tell us as adults we continue to do that. That if we fall into that trap, into that railroad, that's the path, then we stay in that. Again, we're constantly trying to find what is the mirror that mirrors back to me an image that makes me feel good. And if we base our life and the truth of our life off of feelings, feelings are constantly changing. And so we're constantly moving and morphing to try to fit into different social groups. And now as we live in the age of social media, our social circle has expanded in some ways, especially for the younger crowd. And so through the social media, that has changed. And so now they're looking at lives through filtered lives and trying to measure up. And so what we've seen is our mental health, 
our inner health has drastically declined as our social circle has expanded because we're trying to fit into all these different groups. So how do we resist the temptation to compare ourselves, to define ourselves by others externally? Well, there are certain areas of life that we try to do that, right? So work and success. Matter of fact, there's a recent Harvard study that came out and and college students coming out of Harvard said they would rather make $50,000 a year and know that they are paid the most than make $100,000 a year and know that there's others that make more than them. Isn't that interesting? I'm like, sign me up for the hundred thousand. <clears throat> it means I can get to two hundred, right? That's how that's how I think. But this is like, hey, I don't, I I, I want to feel like I'm in control, that I'm I'm the top, whatever that is. And so, um, part of that, and then obviously popularity is another way that we do it. And again, we see it in the social media world now with likes and shares and followers. And I know that's a even a constant discussion between those that are kind of the companies of do we take those things away because people are defining themselves, younger people are defining themselves by how many likes and shares and repeats and all the different things, retweets and all those different things that they get. And um, so they will do things to get that with that purpose. And so another way that we define ourselves is obviously by how much money we make or how much money we uh, have and the possessions. And so it's this question for us in Christ is how much is enough? Um, at what point is there enough that we're able to be whatever that comfortability is, but also that we're able to be generous with the things that God's given us? And then obviously we know physical beauty is something that um, there are ugly babies, right? But um, there is physical beauty um, that we're working with in um, all of that. And then education um, that there are those that, you know, you can always continue to get more and more and more and you're all of those things. And then uh, what about parenting? And I was thinking about this the other day. And, and there's times like we as parents are just really mean to one another. Um, and, and we don't, I don't even know if we know it, but like those kids, I'm glad that those are not my kids and, and uh, all that. Like you just need to spank those kids or whatever. I mean, you got all the different things that we go on and we, we compare and they're like, oh, but you know, cause sometimes we think like my kids, you know, you think I've got these perfect kids maybe. And so like my kids, they came out, they were tithing, they were already baptized. They knew all the hem- You know what I mean? Like, no, I mean, like, listen, there were moments where we're like, hey, listen, I don't know if Jesus loves you because I know I don't, you know, what I mean, like those kind of things. And so it's that is it's part of that is getting into comparisons of thinking of, man, if I just and we just we just naturally do it. And even in the church, we do it. Um, I think sometimes we think, man, I wish I could sing like that person or I wish I could have this platform. And, and I'll be honest with you, it's a it's a thing even among pastors at times of like, hey, how come that guy has that size of church and this guy's got that kind of church? And man, that guy, he can't even preach and and he's got this kind of people and he's ugly. And you know what I mean? Like those kind of things. And I'm sitting in a preacher's room and I'm like, really? Like, come on. I mean, like, I'm really good looking. You know what I mean? So I'm <clears throat> just kidding. But I mean, we do these kind of things. And so the world does that, too, because they watch us as Christians. And one of the things, if we're supposed to be different. And one of the things that maybe we're not as different in is that what we should be is how we compare ourselves. And and sometimes when we think about the spiritual world, sometimes we, I don't know if we even consciously do it, but we subconsciously put down other people so that we can raise ourselves up. So that, oh, at least my sins are not those. At least my kids haven't dealt with that. Right. And so why do we do that so that we can feel better about ourselves? 
because we're struggling with who we are and we're trying to redefine some of the things. So we compare ourselves that way. Matter of fact, I'm going to share a song with you, just a little bitty clip of it, um, by a group that's not a Christian group, okay? I will tell you that. It is a local-ish group, and they're kind of peering into the Christian world. And so, and, and, and how the, maybe not Christians view us as we kind of talk about how we do faith. So let's listen to this song real quick. Oh, sorry. Keep playing. My bad. I pushed the button. That was a really good song. Y'all get it already? I know you smoke. I know you drink that brew. I just can't abide a sinner like you, you know. God can't either. That's why I know it to be true that... uh, Jesus loves me, but he can't stand you. Going straight to heaven, boys, when I die, because I've crossed every T and I've dotted every I. Why, my preacher tells me that I'm God's kind of guy. That's why Jesus loves me, but uh, you're going to fry. That's how the world sees us. There's humor in it, but there's sadness as well. Is that the world knows what we're against more than they know what we're for. And so I hope this morning as we think about this idea of comparison, as we begin to think about, hey, listen, what is the mirror that I'm using? Am I finding my true identity, my true self in Christ? But also, what, are the, what is the mirror and what is the image of God I'm showing other people? Because in reality, that song is a reflection of these are people that have come across other Christians, and that is the view, that is the perspective, that is the image that has been mirrored back to them, is that the Christians are comparing and making judgments based upon different behaviors and different actions. And all of us know none of us are perfect. And so what does it look like for us to, again, show people what we're for and not what we're against? So we need a detox from the addiction of comparison. Because comparison, even within the church, let's think about it this way. Let's bring it inside of our circle for a little bit. Comparison within the church even keeps us from experiencing authentic community and friendship that God intends for us. Because even in a town as big as LaGrange, when we get into life groups or community groups, there are moments where we will not share our authentic self because we're afraid of what people will think of us because we're already making comparisons for them. When in reality, the safest place for us to be our most authentic self should be with other Christians that are on a journey to look and to know and to think and to love like Christ. And as I said a few weeks ago, too many times the things of our struggles, the deep struggles of our life that we're trying to move past and to find victory in, instead of them being a place of healing, it's actually a place where we hand somebody, it feels like we hand somebody a sword or a dagger, and sometime in the, in the future they will use it to stab us in the back. So therefore, we don't share those things. And so I think even within the church, we need to be more conscious of the fact of the things 
that are supposed to be a part that should truly define us. The church should be church that we are a hospital for sinners and all of us are sinners. And so for us in these places where we're doing life on a deep level to be able to share the depth of our pain, the depth of our hurt, the depth of our sin, the depravity of our sins and ourself, and looking and using the mirror of God's word, all of us fall short. And so then why are we comparing? Because we're trying to make ourselves ourselves feel better about our sins over someone else's. Or somewhere we've come up with this false sense of some sins are worse than other sins. And God says, listen, in my eyes, none of that reflects back to me the holiness of who I am. Teddy Roosevelt says, comparison is the thief of joy. Someone else says a flower doesn't bloom, doesn't compare itself to another flower next to it. It just blooms. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? I mean, flowers, we're in the season of spring and you've got blue bonnets and you've got Indian paintbrushes and you've got dandelions and none of us want dandelions, but they keep popping up anyway. And they just bloom, right? They're like, to the next one, let's go. And, and that is, there's power in that of like the dandelion is not looking at the blue bonnet and say, hey, you're the Texas state flower. No, they're like, hey, I'm beautiful. I'm popping up. Someone else said comparison is the most violent act that we do against ourselves. Wow. Because if you think about it, I mean, God has created us and he looks at us and he says, you are my child in whom I am well pleased. So that's a Jesus before he had actually done anything. So for us in Christ, our Father looks at us and says, You are my child in whom I am well pleased. I am not worried about the activity. The reason that we're even in a relationship doesn't have anything to do with what you've done or what you will do. It's because you are you and you've received a free gift. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to show you this. I think it's an interesting passage and an idea for us when we think about the idea of comparison. It says this in Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 1 through verse 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire his workers for the vineyard. Now, this is one of the concepts that Jesus consistently talks about, the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of heaven is this interesting thing in that it is... In scripture, it's this idea of it's here because of Jesus' coming and because of Jesus' work. So it's now present, but it's also not fully realized yet. Does that make sense? So it's here. We, we see glimpses of it. And one of the places that we should see it was within each other and within the church community. But it's not fully realized yet because we're not in that time when Revelation talks about the new heaven and the new earth. We're not fully uh Time hasn't ended and the new time has begun with Christ in fullness. And so we're seeing parts of it, but not in fullness. So for the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyards. Now, one of the things you need to understand is this is not what happened in those days. The landowner didn't go out and hire workers. You had a foreman and the foreman would go out and hire workers. So this is already unique. The, the listeners of Jesus of this parable are already, their ears are perked up. They're like, wait, what? The landowner, he's at home drinking coffee, having breakfast. His servants are serving him, and his foreman is out finding workers. So already these things are flipped. And he agreed, the landowner, he agreed to pay the normal day wage 
and sent these people to work. So he went out, he found some workers early in the morning, and they agreed, they covenanted together, they made a contract, and hey, you go do this work that I need you to do, go find my foreman, he's going to put you to work, and you're going to get paid a full day's wage, which sounds good, right? Again, what do we know about this culture? They are hand to mouth, so if you don't go to work, you don't eat, right? And so they were excited to be able to have a day, a day of full day's wage. At 9 o'clock, which is a little bit later on, so they were probably at work at 6 or 7 in the morning. At 9 o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. Okay, So they're up to nothing. Here we are. And what happens? He offers them an opportunity. He hires them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right. Okay? At the end of the day. And so who knows? They just knew, hey, I'm going to, I may not be getting a full day's wage, but I'm going to get what's right. We'll figure this up. We'll tally it up. There's a trust. There's a covenant that's made. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw some more people standing around. So there's no activity. They're looking or whatever they're doing. And he asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one's hired us. No one's invited us, is what they're saying. The landowner told them to go out and join the workers in my vineyard. So this is 5 o'clock. There may be another day, another hour left of work. The sun's about to go down. They kind of cut out about 6 o'clock, and there's not much work. So they're thinking, well, at least we're going to get some pennies. Okay? So that evening, he told the foreman to call their workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. So those that had just shown up are getting paid first. That sounds good, too. Of course, they're thinking, we're just going to get little pennies. Who knows what we're going to get? When those hired at 5 o'clock were paid, what happened? Each received a full day's wage. Wow. So if you're the person that showed up at like 6 in the morning, you're like, whoo. If they're getting paid a full day's wage for like an hour's work, man, surely we're getting a bonus. Right, because you're thinking all these people are lining up. So the further back in line, you're thinking, "Hey, I'm surely I'm going to get more than these guys." So the comparisons are already beginning. When those hard first came to get their pay, they assumed, and it literally says it's expected is the word assumed or expected, they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. Another word for it is a sense of entitlement. They expected or they had a sense of entitlement, and this sense of entitlement blinded them to what God was doing, blinded them to what the landowner was doing, is that he paid all the people equally for their work. They all had agreed to a covenant with the landowner. But because those that had shown up earlier thought, hey, I've worked harder, I've been in the heat longer, I deserve more than them, they had this sense of entitlement this entire time. It's kind of building up. Like, oh man, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. I think we see this, a comparison to this is in the, the story of the prodigal son. If you've been around church a little bit, there's a story of a young man who goes to the father and says, I hate living in your house under your rules, under your authority. Give me what's rightfully mine. And, which basically was telling his dad, Dad, I hate you, I don't want you, give me my inheritance. And The father gave it to him. He didn't have to, but he gave it to him. And there was an older son that stayed back at the house and did all the things, obeyed all the rules, did all the different stuff, but never really enjoyed being in the presence of the father. And then the younger son comes home and the fatted calf is killed and there's a party and he's given new clothes and he's brought back into the family as if nothing ever happened. And and the older son who'd always been there kind of was like, what? He assumed that they would be treated differently. And 
here this same image Jesus is telling us that this is the good news. Is that the payment we receive in him has nothing to do with the work that we think that we have done to earn salvation. That's good news. So we're not getting paid based upon the work that we've done. And we're also not getting paid for the work that we've done or not done. That the good news is at the cross, it is equal, that God has established a covenant with us. And so whether you've been a follower of him for the baby days of your life, or if you come at the last moment, that we all receive equal payment in the sight of God because it's his money and it's his generosity, not our work. And so why are we comparing? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. We all find our identity in Christ. So when they received their pay, they protested or they grumbled or they complained. And we, we know this. If you've been around church anytime you've done any VBS or little children Sunday school, the Israelites, they were just, they were professional grumblers, right? I mean, they came out of Egypt where they were just eating like beans and weenies and came across and saw the whole Egyptian army taken away. And immediately, because things didn't quite go their way, they began to what? Hey, those beans and weenies weren't so bad. Take us back. And as ludicrous as that sounds, that's us many times. Because of a sense of entitlement, a sense of, hey, God, look what I've been doing for you, is what these people are saying. Hey, landowner, look what I've been doing for you. And they protested because of a sense of entitlement. This is not fair. I was in the heat all day long. I am toasted. But they forgot that they had agreed at 6 a.m. to a fair wage for the day. Those people, here's their argument, those people worked only one hour and yet you've paid them just as much as you've paid those who've worked all day in the scorching heat. And here the landowner answers them and says, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last worker the same as you. Isn't it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? This is God talking to us. Who are you to challenge my generosity with other people? I don't know about you, but there are times where I am like, hey, listen, I don't know if that person really needs that Lexus. I, God, I know that I need it. Because it's got heated seats and a heated steering wheel. You know, I mean, we, we do these things. We begin to justify, complain, kind of do this stuff, stuff. And it may not be something that we say out loud, but the reason that you laughed is because you thought it. Of God, how come they have and I don't? God, how come you're more generous with this person? And I know that they don't love you as much as I do because I know. Should you be jealous, envious, because I'm kind to others? Now listen, if you underline or whatever, you need to underline this word envious, okay? Or jealous or whatever you're jealous, because this is awesome. That word means, okay, is your eye evil, so evil, Because I am generous with others. 
So do we get jealous because the eyes that we see with don't want other people to be blessed by God more than us? Or what we assume is a greater blessing than ours? Wow. Wow. Look at Luke, another passage. Kind of talks about this. Uh, well, before we get to that, take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker mine. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and 14, we see this kind of set up in a way that there's two guys that come into the chapel, and one guy's a very religious, a Pharisee guy, and he comes in, and here's what he prays. He says, I'm glad, God, that you did not make me like all those other people. And he lists them out in the passage, Luke, Luke, 19, Luke 18. You can go look it up. And then another guy comes in who's a tax collector. If you know anything about that day, like the tax collector was the lowest of the lowest. Like even now we don't like the IRS, right? And so like tax collector, tax collector. And one of the reasons they didn't like tax collectors in is because they would set the rate. So they would show up at your house and say, oh, this year the rate's 30%. And it would change house to house depending on what your house looked like or whatever. And so they were cheating, they were stealing. Even if the government had say the tax rate's 5%, they would take 30% and they would keep the other 25% for themselves. And so they were the scourge of the earth at the time. And so this tax collector shows up to church and he doesn't approach the altar. He stands at the back and he literally just says, God, I am chief of sinners. I don't even deserve to be in this building. I don't even deserve to be in your presence. But God received me. And Jesus says that is the heartbeat of someone who sees evil and understands our right place, that we have made a covenant and a contract with the landowner and it's equal ground. Even in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us the eye is the lamp of the body. In other words, that as things come in, we see, okay, through the how bright our eyes is, how much truth and light is in our eyes, which comes out of our soul. And so if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, I'm not an eye doctor, but here's what I do know, that if your eyes begin to go dark, there's there's cataracts, there's different things, glaucoma, all these things that begin to shut down, or like if you have uh, different things, like obviously I wear glasses, and so even with glasses, to see far, to see light, they're shaping things around so you can see things correctly. And so here Jesus is saying that for us, for our soul to see and to understand and perceive correctly, our eyes have to be healthy. The light that it receives has to come in clearly so we can receive it and act upon it correctly. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, that if your eyes are unhealthy, as you're walking, you're walking in darkness. You can't even see the dangers that are ahead of you. And if you've ever walked in complete darkness, it's kind of scary. Because you don't know if there's a snake. You don't know if there's something you can trip on or a rock or whatever. You're walking in complete darkness and you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And this is what Jesus is saying. So many of us... Our eyes are so unhealthy, we think we're walking, and we're walking with confidence, and we don't even understand that we're walking in complete darkness, and we don't know the dangers around us. And part of that's comparisons, leads to comparisons. In the light within you is darkness. So if darkness is dark, how do, how do you know? If you don't have light, how can you know how dark is even dark? 
How great is that darkness? So a couple of things I want to point out to you. Comparison robs us of our joy and our gratitude. When we look at other people and go, hey, they've got this and I don't, we, we have a tendency to forget what we do have and how God has blessed us. And so it robs us of that gratitude and joy. Comparison robs us of the opportunity to be happy and to be good with what God has blessed other people. What we should be is going alongside and like, yes, God has provided you with a great job, with a great income and your generosity. And you got a Lexus. I get to ride with you to Lexus. You're buying dinner, but I get to ride with you. And I mean, that's that's the thought of comparisons with you. And then most importantly, comparison robs us. Robs God of his glory. Because we're stealing from him, wanting from him what he wants to give over to others. Comparison, if you think about it from the story, begins with a calculation. And we begin with our math. Is it fair? Is it equal? And here's the deal. My math doesn't equal God's math. And so it's never going to be, may not ever seem fair. But God's not worried about fairness. So give that up. Comparison also then turns into complaining and grumbling. And what do we do naturally is we then begin to tell other people and we begin to bring other people into our misery. And so other people will then begin, because we crave sympathy, because we worked all day and got a full wage, but they worked this and they got that. And so we, we crave sympathy and validation. And so we throw a pity party. Instead of throwing a party for the others. We should, we should be throwing a party for the one that got to work for 30 minutes, 45 minutes and received this blessing. Comparison also turns things into competition. And when things become a competition of you've got this or my kids are better than your kids or I'm more spiritual than you or whatever it turns into, it defeats authentic community and friendship within the context of the church community. Because we end up competing with one another instead of sharing with one another and growing and encouraging and challenging one another. Comparison keeps us from experiencing that depth of community that I know all of us long to be known and to be loved. That's at our core. To be truly known and to be loved. And to not put on a mask, but to take all those masks off and to be known. And comparison robs us of that opportunity. So here's some questions I want to ask you that you can write down or you can whatever. But these are, these are for you for this week and even for today to think about and contemplate. Why do we find it difficult to rejoice over the good that comes to another person? Why do we find it difficult to rejoice over the good that comes to another person? Another question. Why does God's generosity with another person make me angry and cheated? Why does God's generosity with another person make me angry and feel cheated? And when we choose to see with the eye that God's given us, the life from Jesus' perspective, comparison loses its power. 
When we begin to see life through the eyes of Jesus, comparison loses its power. When Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem, as he came in for Palm Sunday, he looked over the city of Jerusalem and he wept over the entire city. Because he's a landowner. And he knew that every single person in the city of Jerusalem, every single person in the city of LaGrange needs Jesus. And one of the main ways that people stay away from, one of the main reasons people stay away from Jesus is because of, like we heard in that song, we portray this image, whether we know it or not, that Jesus loves me, but you're going to have to do something more to earn his love. But this story in Matthew 20 is the gospel. Our work doesn't equal our payment, and our payment is not equal to the work that we do or will do. It's all based upon his work on the cross. He's established a contract for us, and he's done the work, and we receive the payment. Jesus has left the estate and gone into the street and gone into the places where no one else will go to offer a job that no one else would hire. And they receive equal payment. He goes wherever and whenever he needs to offer the invitation. And finally, I want you to understand that Jesus has been irrationally generous with me and with you. And he wants to be irrationally generous with our neighbors. Let's let him be. Let's not compare. Let's rejoice with him. So this morning, maybe you've never received, maybe you've been invited, but you've never said yes. Jesus has invited you to work. That's part of the fun. We, we get to work. We have a purpose and a meaning that's beyond ourselves. So if you've never said yes to Jesus, today's a great day to do that. And understand that all of us, none of us are better than others. We're all working together. And that the beauty is we all get to, for eternity, be in the presence of this landowner that's irrationally generous. Maybe you've said yes. But you're like the rest of us, and you're really good at comparing and complaining and grumbling. Maybe for today, let's just take a break and appreciate that God is good and the good that he's done for others and for us. And so maybe there's someone in your life that you're like, God, I don't know why you've blessed them. Maybe today this is what you do is you just stop and you pray and you thank God for their blessing. And ask God to do more for them. <laughs> Give them two Lexuses. I don't know, maybe they'll loan it out to you. I don't know. That's my heart. And ask God to bless them more. Can we do that? Let's pray. Father God, man, the mirror that we use to compare ourselves is so broken and distorted. I pray that we as followers of Jesus would, instead of using the different mirrors that the world offers, that we would use yours. 
and your mirror shouts out to us, You are my child in whom I am well pleased. Father, I pray this morning that if anyone needs to receive the invitation to work in the field, to know the landowner, Father, that they would do that this morning. That would just say, yes, I need, I need to know Jesus. It's that easy. And Father, for those that have said yes to Jesus, it's easy for us to go back to those mirrors and to compare. And so, Father, I pray that we would just break them, shatter them, and throw them in the trash as best we can. And work on our heart of being generous for the goodness that you have for others. The Father, that maybe we walk around applauding you. Not applauding our neighbors, but applauding you for your generosity. And that when we applaud you for your generosity in other people's lives, that it reminds us of how generous you've been with us. And we just ask you to be more generous with our neighbors. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your generosity, your irrational generosity with us, for the invitation to dine at your table. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.